Well, praise God. It's good to be back with you. I'm kind of doing this once a month is kind of the way it's working right now, and I look forward to it. I start asking the Lord far in advance, you know, what, what's up, Lord? What are we going to do? And uh, this topic was um, started stirring in my spirit uh, a good month ago, so it's interesting that it has come out as Pastor Scott has been talking about entering a time of prayer and fasting that what the Lord was talking to me about over a month ago was Isaiah 58. And if you're familiar with scriptures at all, you know that Isaiah 58 is where they, uh, the prophet lines out about fasting and the benefits and so forth of it. And we're going to look at that tonight. Um, on Sunday, Pastor Scott said, you are the church. It's not this building. It's you. You are the church. And... Uh, Dan Moeller goes farther to say, you are the move of God. And he's building the church by pouring revelation into the church. So he's building us by pouring revelation into us. Well, how does revelation come into us? Revelation is poured into us as we make a concentrated, a concerted push in our prayers, both corporate and individually. So uh, to whatever degree you're planning to participate in this time of prayer and fasting that the pastor has called for to start next Sunday, let it be both in your individual prayer and in your corporate prayer a time where you're pushing into God to get his revelation of what your part is to play and what our church's part is to play during this time. You know... Um, Last Friday was uh, a holiday. What was this last Friday? Who remembers? Anybody remember what last Friday was? St. Patrick's Day. Now, you know, it's really funny. Uh, there seems to be a lot more Irish people on St. Patrick's Day than there is any other time of year. You know, just everybody wears green whether they're from Irish heritage or not. But uh, we kind of are more aware of it nowadays in our family because uh, my son-in-law was born on St. Patrick's Day, and so his mother gave him the middle name of Patrick, you know, and they like to go to the Patrick St. Patrick's Day parade and all that. But you, uh, most of you here, or all of you here, are, have been believers for some time, and you are aware, I'm sure, that, that St. Patrick really was a godly man, and he was a man of prayer, and he was very influential in bringing revival and um, the gospel to the island of Ireland. Um, there is a, a minister here named Paul Brady. Uh, he is from Ireland, and he's uh, close friends with Billy Brim. And I think he has relocated here. Seems to me, I, from the bits I get on Facebook, I think he is actually pastoring a church in Oklahoma now. But he wrote this about St. Patrick recently. He said, I've always known that there are specific places on earth that are called to do certain things. And I know there are prophetic words over different regions, over different territories. St. Patrick would have called these places the thin places. And one of the thin places he talked about was Slimish Mountain in Northern Ireland. Ireland. We would typically know such a place as a portal, some, a place where it just seems to be that the Spirit of God uh, comes uh, more prominently, more recognizably. Slimish was the mountain where St. Patrick looked after sheep 
and spent his time with God. So why was this a thin place? Why was this a portal? It was because it was a place where St. Patrick spent time in concentrated prayer, concerted prayer. Um, as, and Slemish Mountain is where I learned to pray, says uh, Pastor Brady. We lived at the bottom of eight acres in a beautiful glen with Slemish Mountain just a few miles to the front of us. Just a few miles from Slemish was another, or is another, thin place where in 1859 one of the notable revivals of history broke out. Now here's the important part about all this Irish history. <laughs> and all was birthed in prayer. Prayer is the key. Prayer is not something we do. Prayer is what we are. Prayer is the work of God. Everything flows from where we pour out from that intimate place in the Father and from there we receive the revealing of his ways and his purposes. So tonight we're going to be looking at Isaiah, the 58th chapter, as I mentioned to you earlier, which was really thought about as being a fasting chapter. But we're not going to really concentrate on the fasting part. We're going to talk about the value of praying something like Isaiah 58 and taking it apart and spending time in it. Uh, Lynn Hammond also says about prayer that too many of us think we can bring in the end-time harvest by implementing our programs instead of getting on our knees to pray. But the fact is we can't. We can't cause a divine invasion to take place in our own strength. Only God can do that. Only God can send a healing revival. Only God can clean out a hospital of all its sick people. Only God can turn the hearts of rebellious teenagers back to himself. Only God can take children out of abusive environments and put them in peaceful homes. Only God can do it. And I believe he will do it as we become willing and obedient to pray. Willing and obedient to pray. So looking at fasting and praying, uh, uh, you have to determine as a New Covenant Christian how valuable is fasting. You know in the Old Testament there was a lot that was in place to be signs and symbols of things. Yes, fasting does still have a place in the New Testament church, but you don't see it as prominently as you do in the Old Testament. I looked through the book of Acts and I found three different places where the early church fasted. And those three places were at times when they were coming together because they were needing to make decisions, decisions about which uh, person was to fill the apostle's position or the disciple's position that was left open by Judas Iscariot's treason. And there were other times when things were occurring in the church and they needed, and I didn't write them all down, but there things were occurring in the church, they needed to make a decision, they needed to make a move of God, and they wanted to be of one mind and one heart. So they would come together and they would put aside food, they would fast, and they would pray. Um, fasting hones in our focus on pursuit of God's purposes and ways. Now, we were taught, some of us were talking before church about, well, you know, are you participating in this, in this fast? And I, I'm planning to do it to a certain extent, but I already did some fasting earlier in the year. And Lord knows I don't want to fast anymore. I have to. But, but, you know, I think for the New Testament church, fasting is good from the standpoint, one of the things that I have learned about it 
is usually I do some type of a partial fast. And when those hunger pains start, you know, then to take that and say, Lord, as much as I would like to get in that refrigerator and eat that, I'll use Pastor Scott's taco, as much as I'd like to get in there and eat that taco right now, I hunger more to see you do this. I hunger more for a closer walk with you. I hunger more to see you doing this in our church, you know, being specific about what it is, but putting that in there. Or um, one of the things that uh, is meaningful to me in fasting is maybe even hits closer home to me, I hate to say, than food, is watching TV or getting on Facebook. So when I'm fasting, quite often I'll say, I'm setting aside all TV, or I might say I'll set aside all TV but one hour a night to be with my husband because that's our, our, our time together. So I'll cut it down like that. And then as I'm sitting in my room and I have been praying and I feel like I've kind of prayed out for the moment, I said, Lord, as much as I'd like to go do thus and so, as much as I'd like to go watch this and this, I hunger more to be in fellowship with you and to hear your voice clearly. I hunger more to see these things occur. So that's one way that you might look at it as you're fasting. But I do believe that as New Testament believers, as we fast, the more important thing is the prayer time, the pulling aside to spend time with the Lord, giving extra time to him. You know, and if you're tired, just sitting in the chair being tired with him rather than being tired in front of a screen. You know, um, Mark 9:29. you may remember that story. It's not on your sheet. Uh, it's when the disciples were unable to uh, deliver the demoniac son. And uh, Jesus said to them, and they said, well, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, if in most Bibles that and fasting is in parentheses, and I've been told that that is in parentheses, not parentheses, italics. It's in italics there because it was added by the translators. They thought that filled out the meaning. So whether Jesus said that or not, we see that the emphasis is on the prayer aspect of it. And fasting is good from the standpoint of self-denial and preparation, but you know, everything has to follow the same chain. It can't be out of the chain. So when you look at that scripture and Jesus, they ask Jesus, why could we not do this? And he said, well, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Look at other things that Jesus said to his disciples. O ye of little faith. Uh, what was the other one? Um, Oh, it, because of your unbelief. So what I believe he's saying here when he says this come, kind of comes up by prayer and fasting, how do we get faith? How do we get rid of unbelief? It's by spending time with God and spending time in the Word. So what would he be saying to them? You want to see these demoniacs uh, relieved? You want these hard cases taken care of? Then you need to build your faith. And the way you're going to build your faith it's by spending time with me, getting alone with me, self-denial, but most of all, getting alone with God and getting into his word. So um, Bill Johnson said, faith is the evidence 
of surrender and rest. Faith is the evidence of surrender and rest. So here's something that's going to happen in a time of prayer and fasting. It's surrendering to God and resting in him. And then, then faith arises from that. So again, it's that, that trust in him uh, that builds our faith. And that trust in him comes from being in his word. All right, tonight we're going to look at Isaiah, the 58th chapter, and see some great promises and some guides to our petitioning that we can gather from that chapter. Um, and the reason that's valuable is because in Psalm 138.2, it says, the, Lord, the, the psalmist said, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all else your name and your word, and you have magnified your word above all your name. So if you're spending time in prayer and you're spending time in petitioning God for deliverances or a move, a forward movement for any situation or group or body of people, um, the way to do that is to bring his word before him, bring his word before him. And we're going to look tonight at Isaiah 58 and see how in, his, in Isaiah 58 he's told us some things that we can put into place for the people that we're believing for. Uh, in, in, on your page you have, the whole, you have Isaiah 58 from verses 5 to 14 written down. If you'll go on down to the very last verse, 14, it says, Then will you delight yourself in the Lord... And I will make you ride on the high places of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage promised for you of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That is one of the most important things right there of the whole thing, because it's that knowledge of the covenant that is going to bring these things to pass. When you come before God, as we, you know, we just got through with that whole course we did on the courts of heaven. It was all about knowing who you are as a covenant believer and taking that covenant before him. As we're going to take Isaiah 58 tonight for uh, the people that we're believing for, we're first of all going to remember that this is all covenant promise. Covenant promise. And God won't go back on his covenant. He won't go back on the words that have come out of his mouth. Amen? Um, and here's what's neat. Uh, you know I like Dan Moeller, so I hope you don't mind me mentioning his name again. Um, Dan Moeller said, every time the devil touches you, he takes a risk that you'll come out of it with a greater revelation of God. Every time the devil touches you, he takes a risk that you will come out of it with a greater revelation of God. Think back on a time in your Christian life when it was really hard. You really came through something. You don't really like that that you went through. You don't enjoy it. But there were things that you came out on the other side, right? You're all sitting here, so I think you all came out on the other side. And when you look back on that, there are things that you learned in that that you probably wouldn't have learned any other way. But you have found God faithful and true because of what you've been through. And it's so wonderful to know. Um, 
uh, Graham Cook talks about, uh, he's so cute the way he does it, I can't do it as, the way he does it, but he talks about a problem or a challenge. It's like a package arrives at your door. He said, oh, you should get happy about it. Hey, buddy, you know, I just, I just got a package on the door. Oh, I don't know what it is, but it's something, it's something grand because he knows, he's looking at the problem as something that God has also sent solutions with. You know God has a solution. You know God has got an answer to this. So we should not look at it as, oh dear, here comes another trial. But as you build your faith, you begin to look at, oh, well, God's got something great here. He's got a way out of it. He's going to show me the way out. All right, so let's look at Isaiah 58. Uh, I'm going to just read to you. As we're reading through this on your sheet, you'll notice that there are numbers in parentheses throughout. And these numbers in parentheses are things that we're going to be looking at as things that we will pray over people and things that God will do over people as we intercede. Because if we're praying his word, we're praying his will. And if we're praying his will and we're in faith, we have the petitions for which we ask. Right? All right. So let's look at what it says here. Isaiah 58, 5 through 14. Is such a fast as yours what I have chosen? Is true fasting merely mechanical? Is it only to bow down your head like a bulrush or to spread sackcloth and ashes under yourself? To, uh, Amplified says to indicate a condition of heart that you don't really have. <laughs> Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? I'm going to stop there for just a second because that's a little bit different subject than what else we're going to be talking about. But anyway, what he's saying is that when you enter into a fast, partial fast, whole fast, whatever, you're never to do it as though, okay, I'm fasting, God. You now, you're now indebted to me. You know, you have to do this for me because, see, I'm fasting. That would be a mechanical fast, and it would not be pleasing to God. Or should, we should never be of the attitude, well, since I'm fasting, God's obligated to prosper me. God's not obligated to you to do anything. But he does love you, and he will work with you as you work in faith. All right, let's go on. In verse 6, Rather is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every enslaving yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? Then shall our light break forth like the morning, and your healing, your restoration, and power of a new life shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness, your rightness, your justice, and your right relationship with God shall go before you, conducting you into peace and prosperity. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away from your midst yokes of oppression where you find them, the finger pointed in scorn toward the oppressed or the godly, and every form of false, harsh, unjust, and wicked speaking. And if you pour out that with which you sustain your own life for the hungry and satisfy the need of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in darkness and your obscurity and gloom become like the noonday. 
And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy you in drought and in dry places and make strong your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And, if <clears throat> and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations uh, of buildings that have laid waste for many generations. And you shall be called repairer of the breach, restorer of the streets to dwell in. Then will you delight yourself in the Lord, and I will make you to ride on the high places of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage promised for you of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, this is a super, super chapter, and a great thing to take before the Lord as you're fasting. Now, there are a number of levels that this could be done on. I could see right now doing this for our nation, for our leaders, for uh, Tr President Trump and his administration, all of those. I can see doing it for our church. We're in a time of transition, so to speak, because we have uh, Pastor Scott stepping in. He's instituting uh, new ways of doing things, which are great and wonderful, and we want him to grow and we want the church to grow so it can be used there. And then uh, we always, uh, I can say, I think it's pretty universal, we always have uh, people in our lives, family members, uh, that are not serving God as they should or not where they should be. And so this would be a good thing for them as well. But um, since I have used it in that last case the most, if you don't mind, I'll use that as my example tonight as we're going through this. But just know that that's not isolated to that type of situation. Um, there is a lot of figurative language in here, isn't there? Yoke, watered garden, um, what's another one? Um, uh, well, there's more. <laughs> it's two that stick out right now. And you know what... Our, our brains can get lazy, and we start thinking, oh, yes, that's wonderful, breaking the yoke. I'm praying I'm, I'm breaking the yoke over, I'll pick a name that's no name that I know right now, Jamie. I am praying that the yokes will be broken off of Jamie. I am praying that, um, that their um, righteousness would be this and, you know, their obscurity and so forth and so on. But stop. Think about what does that mean? So let's start with number, uh, number one and number two on your sheet there in verse six. Number one says to loose the bonds of wickedness. Okay, give me some examples. What would be a bond of wickedness that a loved one might be involved in? Alcoholism. You got one? What did he say? Yes, yes, because that's bad for our bodies, isn't it? It deteriorates your lungs and other parts of your body. So we can pray the loosing of bonds of wickedness, the bands, the bands of the yoke to let the oppressed go free, to break every enslaving yoke. So really, we're, when we're thinking yokes, we're thinking along kind of the same line. So let's talk some more. We've got, we've got alcoholism. We've got um, tobacco habits. Are habits the only things that are a problem that need to be broken off? Sin. To anything. Mm -hmm. 
And it can be, it can be wrong thinking, too. You, you get, you get um, a person who is listening to the wrong crowd, listening to the wrong stations, whatever. They're going to have things that grab hold of their mind and their attitudes. Um, I know of, a, of an individual who was raised in a, in a church, but then in a relationship with a non-believer, started believing things that an atheist would believe about creation. Oh, well, that can't be, and this and that and the other. Just from, and it's, and it's really, it, it, it is a yoke, because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense. You know, and so we need a spiritual thing to come in there and break that loose. All right, so as you're putting in the people that you're praying for, stop. Take time to think about, well, what is the yoke that's on them? What is the bond that's holding them? It's broken. In Jesus' name, it's broken. And then we're going to pray in the Spirit over those things, too, because we know not what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit knows. The Spirit knows how to pray for those things. And then it goes on down. I've got a little asterisk there. What does that mean? Oh, yes. Uh, on your sheet, you have Isaiah 10, 27, which tells us that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Praise God. Uh, the, in one uh, regard, it said it was like a yoke on the oxen and the fatness of his neck would break the yoke off. Well, whatever you want to call it, that anointing is strong and it's going to break that thing off. As we're praying in the Spirit and as we're taking time to fast and pray about these things, that anointing is going to come on those young people, is going to come on those old people, going to come on those whatever, and it's going to break that yoke in Jesus' name. Well, how do you know that? Because he told us down here at the bottom, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And he said that he would create the fruit of our lips. If the fruit of our lips is his word, he's going to follow through. You believe that? You don't believe it? <laughs> do you believe that? Yeah, okay, okay. You're still out there. All right, and now look at this next part. It's not, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Well, that can be a very literal translation and be true. During a time of fasting, look for ways to, to feed others. Look for those that need shelter. Are you doing what you can do in that regard? But it can also have a spiritual implication. What is your bread of life? It's just the presence of God and the word of God. So if you're going to divide your bread with the hungry you're, during this time of prayer and fasting, you're going to look for ways to feed others the word of God. You're going to look for opportunities to speak the word into other people's lives. And homeless, you know, you are a child of the Most High God and you dwell in his kingdom. You are no longer homeless but there are people out there in your daily walk who are spiritually homeless. And so during this time of prayer and fasting, not only are you going to do it in the natural, but you're going to do it in the spiritual too. You're going to see that you do your part to get the word of God into these people's lives so that they will have a covering and that they will have a home. All right, now let's look at verse 8. 
Um, then shall our light break forth as the morning. So what does that mean? It means sunshine? What is the light breaking forth as the morning? Revelation knowledge coming in. Now don't you see that that, that person that you're believing for, don't they need that? They need a spiritual encounter. And if God can give spiritual encounters to Muslims on the other side of the world, he can give spiritual encounters to the people that you're praying for right here. Those things can be broken off of them, and we're expecting to see that. Your healing, your restoration of power of a new life shall spring forth speedily. So uh, healing can be physical healing, but it can also be the power of a new life in Christ. And we want it to happen slowly, speedily. Uh, the fifth one, your righteousness, your rightness, your right relationship with God shall go before you. Do you remember, um, I think most of you were in the study that we did when we talked about the courts of heaven. And um, in that, we were talking about that we needed to take and speak the destiny, the destiny of those people that we were believing for. This is one of the ways that you do that. You take that uh, person that you're praying for, and you say, um, Jamie is in right standing with you, God. You're, um, he is in right relationship with you. See, so you say, well, I don't know how to speak the destiny of so-and-so. Well, this is the destiny right here. It's not in maybe as specific as what you were thinking. Well, he's going to move to Oklahoma and he's going to do whatever. But no, you can talk, you can talk about uh, his right relationship with God. And he will conduct you to peace and prosperity. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What does that mean to you? The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Anybody be brave? What does it mean, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard? Mm -hmm. That's what I picture in my mind. Uh -huh. God is making sure nobody puts you from behind. Isn't that wonderful? Without, you know, without being and these people that you're praying for who don't yet know their covenant relationship with, with God, they need that rear guard even more than you and I do, and we need it too. They need that protection from the back. Remember us talking, hold on just a minute. It, remember us talking about Gloria Copeland saying that the Lord told her that, he says, my, my grace hovers over John when she was praying for her son. So that's that rear guard we're talking about. These people we're praying for, they're not, they're acting kind of stupid right now. But God is going to have his mercy as their rear guard to protect them from getting taken out. Yes, Waylon. Remember what you were going to say? Isn't that wonderful? God guides people when they're scared through the dark. Yes. Well, God wants us in that place where we're 
And what comes to my mind as pastors saying that is, you know, we've said it before, we'll say it again because we need to keep hearing it, is watch your mouth, you know? Watch your mouth. What are you saying? Are, you, are your words lining up with what God is promising here, or are you saying, you know, these other things all the time that leave little cracks in the wall or cracks in the, in the armor for the enemy to get in and, and throw things at you? All right, moving right along. Uh, Verse 7, then you'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry and he'll say, here I am. If you'll take away from your midst yokes of oppression wherever you find them, the finger pointed in scorn and so on. So we're saying here that that when, when Jamie calls, the Lord will answer. When Jamie cries... The Lord will say, here I am. And we'll add to that, Jamie is going to cry to the Lord. Jamie is going to speak out to the Lord. Um, And let's see, moving on down. I'm not going to hit every one of these. One that really, uh, let's, let's look at number eight. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. So we talk about that individual, how they are so... Their lives are so dark, and they may even be in depression, you know, because things are just so dark around them. The world is a dark place. I, don't, I just don't understand how people can live in the darkness that's out there right now and not lose their minds. But we're saying that for Jamie, Jamie's light is going to rise in the darkness. The, what is the light? The light isn't that it's going to be all of a sudden light bulbs all around them. The light is the knowledge of the love and the grace of God. It's going to come alive in this person that you're praying for. And now here's a really cool one. You're going to like this one. Um, And where did I write my notes on that? There they are. Okay. Um, Number nine, your obscurity and gloom become like the noonday. This is good for you as well as whoever you're praying for. Years ago... I looked at that word, your obscurity and gloom become as a noonday. Lord, what does obscurity mean? So I went to the good old dictionary. And listen what obscurity means. Obscurity means not clearly seen or easily distinguished. Have you ever been in a job place where you needed to be clearly seen and easily distinguished? You were just hidden, you know. You're doing all these good things and nobody's seeing them, well, he's telling you that that's going to disappear from you. You're going to be clearly seen. You're going to be easily distinguished. Obscurity means things are not readily understood or clearly expressed. So that can be on both, on both, on both things we're talking about here. For this person that needs the Lord, they're going to be able to clearly express themselves. They're going to be able to understand. They're not going to be in obscurity anymore. And the same thing works for you. You're a child of the Most High God, aren't you? You're a servant of the Lord. You want to communicate to others, and you want them to understand the love of God that you're sharing with them. Okay, stop saying, I can't think of the right words to say. I don't know what to do, blah, 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 blah. 
it says here that you will be readily understood and you will be able to express yourself clearly. Uh, obscurity means that you are relatively unknown. You're not prominent. Uh, a veil of meaning through some inadequacy of expression or withholding of full knowledge. All that's departing from you. All that, people don't understand me. Oh, they misunderstood what I said. Or I can't express myself well. Or, or I've got a calling, but nobody will let me do it. Or, or, you know, all this kind of garbage that goes on. All of that is gone from you because you're going to take this word and you're going to believe it. Because back to verse 14 again, he says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Okay, he's spoken it. Let's grab hold of it. Let's cling to it. Praise God. All right. Um, look at uh, verse 11 at number, well, I'll just read both of it. The Lord will guide you continually. That's pretty easily understood. He will satisfy you in drought and dry places and make strong your bones. All right, so we're going to claim this for the people that, that are needing God. We're going to claim it for ourselves as well. We're not going to go through times when we can't. You know, I just never hear from God. I, you know, I, I get into his word and, and it, I, I don't understand. No, he's saying here, we're going to spend some time in prayer and fasting. And there's not going to be any drought places anymore. You're going to be able to pick up the word of God and you're going to say, Lord, show me something from your word. And it's just going to pop out. And it's going to be so much popping out that you're thinking, oh, I, I got to get this down. I got to get this down. That's the way it's going to be in your life. Okay, when is that going to happen? When you start taking these things and you take them like they are, the word of God, and you start saying, this is the way the picture's going to be in Jamie's life. This is the way the picture's going to be in my life. We've got to put ourselves in the place of a believer speaking his word and expecting these things to happen. Praise God. Now, this water garden, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you'll be like a watered garden. Well, um, James back there, he does some planting. What happens when a garden is well watered? Not over watered, but well watered. It flourishes, and when it flourishes, what's coming out? Fruit, vegetables, produce, things to help people live, things to make people healthy, things to make people's face light up like Sharon's just did. <laughs> And Debbie's. <laughs> There's been some passing of food going on here, I can tell. <laughs> um, yes, what else, Waylon? Does he grow? Yes, if you didn't have that water, the plants would die. So in our lives, the water is the word of God and the time with God that we spend. And then all these things are going to start to flourish. We're going to be able to feed others. Um, and we're going to be able to make, pro make their lives produce as well. So, you know, you can see you can spend a lot of time in this, and since you're going to be praying and fasting, you're going to have a lot of time, okay? Um, now, this one is a new one to me. When I say new, it's, it's been here all along, but that's what is so awesome about the Word of God. You know, I've, I've been uh, in the Word for... Over 51, maybe 60, probably 61 years. I mean, I was raised in church, but yeah, probably 61 years since I gave my heart to the Lord. 
and yet the word is still alive. You know, you can read it over again, and oh, oh, it's like it's brand new because he, he, it's a live thing. Okay, back to what I was saying. Um, number 14 on your thing says, your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. Okay, now how many of you have archaeologists on your prayer list, and this is a real concern for you? No. So what's it going to mean, ancient ruins will be rebuilt? Raise up foundations, laid waste for many generations. Do you have any insight on that? Any brave souls? Okay, I'll tell you what I see then. Um, raise the foundations that have been laid waste for many generations. You think about in your families. You think about, you know, there's one branch of the family, and, and they've kind of gone with the Lord. They're in church. They're serving God. And then there's other branches of your family maybe that have not. Well, this is saying here that, you know, what I've been doing, you know, I've always believed, okay, yeah, yeah, we want it to be built. But these people on my list that I'm praying for, I'm now saying they not only are going to be a watered garden, they are not only going to have light in their darkness, they're going to start repairing the breaches in our family system. They're going to start repairing the breaches in Houston. You know, Houston used to be a place where there was great revival. You know, some of you that have studied that, you know about the, the full gospel movement, things that moved out. Okay, so let's believe that these people, uh, Jamie in our story, that Jamie, who has not been serving the Lord, all of a sudden Jamie is now a light. All of a sudden Jamie is now giving out food, spiritual food to those around her or him. Not only that, Jamie is becoming an evangelist, going out to Houston and finding places where it used to be uh, widely spoken of God and those people don't anymore, and they're evangelizing. I mean, there's all kinds of good things that can come out of this. And it says that you shall be called a repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Can you see this? A new generation coming up who are going to, to take care of those things that have fallen and laid waste in the uh, cities of our world, that we're going to have a, a, one term is a revival or a restoration, whatever you want to call it, of uh, things that have laid dormant for a long time. Praise God. And then it says in 16, the, the 16th thing in verse 14, that he will make you to ride on the high places of the earth. Well, that's not much value unless you take it into spiritual things. And it said, and where I've studied it, that that's a place of a conqueror. A conqueror goes and they're riding on the high places. They're in charge and they're uh, accomplishing great things. Okay, um, here we go. A conqueror riding in his chariot and occupying the hills. Okay. Isaiah 62.10. Go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Cast up. Cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard or an ensign over and for the peoples. So as you go into this next week and you're looking at time to spend with God, times for prayer and fasting, 
look at this verse. Gather out the stones. That's what we as believers need to be doing. We need to take out the stones, the things that are causing people to stumble. We're going to get rid of that with our prayers. Um, And here's another thing. As we're talking about uh, people that need to, to come into relationship with God. Okay, you've been praying Isaiah 58 over them. You've seen some change, but you haven't seen the change you want. Um, and um, Sister Smith comes up to you and says, well, how's Jamie doing? You know, I heard Jamie's on, on drugs, and I, I heard Jamie, hadn't heard from Jamie in, in months, and I heard this and I heard that. Dan Moeller says, this is what he had a son that was in this situation. He said, I'm not losing, and this is what he told God. He said, I'm not losing sleep. I put good seed in that boy. Your grace is on that boy. He has a good destiny. I commit him to your mercy. My descendants shall be mighty on the earth. I am before you as a priest, and your grace is on that boy. And he said when someone asked him, how's your boy doing? How's Jamie doing? He would answer with a big smile, he's coming along. I thought that's a good answer. He's coming along. You trust their well-being to the living God. Praise God. All right. Um, So saying all that to say this, that we need to be specific and be relentless in praying for miracles in every part of our life. We need to bring the promises of God before him in our pursuit. He hasn't forgotten, nor is he in need of a reminder. We don't need to remind him what it says in Isaiah 58. He's well aware of that. But he delights in and partners with our expression of faith, seeing us stand in his covenant and on his covenant in prayer. It's just the way God works. I mean... We know that he could do all this stuff, but that's not what he's chosen. In the earth, he has chosen that it's going to be your partnership with your brother and sister and with him to bring these things about. He's very big about family. Yes, he's big about his relationship with you, but he's also very big about family. He doesn't want you, as Pastor Scott says, you know, out here just you know, suffering through it on your own or you letting others suffer through it on their own. He wants us to join together as family. I think I had a verse on that. Oh, yes, right there. I think you have it too. Uh, Philippians 1, 27 and 28 says, Paul said, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one purpose with one mind striving side by side as if in combat for the faith of the gospel. And in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents, for that constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign, a proof, and a seal to your enemy of their impending destruction. But it's a clear sign of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. Hallelujah. So that's what I see us doing. We are standing side by side. In one mind, we are striving to see that all of these people we're praying for come into the path that God has for them, and we are not going to be intimidated by anything the enemy tries to throw at us. And that is a sure token, it says, of the deliverance and salvation and that from God. Amen? 
I want to finish with one thing from, this is a very good book on uh, prayer and fasting by Mahesh Chavda, The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting, and I wanted to read you something from this. Uh, do most of you remember General Patton from World War II? He was a real go-getter, but he was a, a mighty general. Um, he gave a great call to courage as he addressed his troops before they engaged the enemy, knowing full well that many of them would be called to give the supreme sacrifice by losing their lives. And this is a paraphrase of General Patton's speech. He said, Men, one day when your grandbaby climbs into your lap and looks up at you and asks, Granddaddy, what did you do in the Great War? You will not have to hang your head in shame and say, I was shoveling manure in Louisiana. You will be able to look him in the eye and say, Honey, I was right in the midst of the battle when the nations of the world were hanging in the balance. In our day, God is preparing his church and gathering up his eagles for war. He is massing his troops in the face of a wave of satanic outpouring. Even as he foretold through the prophets of old, his own great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh is about to flood the earth with his glory, and it will wash away all evil before it. God's great army is being prepared to take the prey by pulling down the strongholds of supernatural evil resistance that are holding humanity in the bondage of terror, sin, and disease worldwide. We must develop perseverance, tenacity, prevailing patience if we are to wage successful warfare. Above all, we must not pull back, cut back, or turn back until we have totally destroyed the works of the enemy. We have been given a promise of victory, but God is waiting for us to strike through until we possess our enemy's gates. Finally, we need to pay close attention to the admonition of God's word concerning our confidence in times of conflict, difficulty, and hard decisions. It says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the souls. The life of faith and obedience to Christ will bring us arrows of pain as, we, as well as arrows of victory. Such is the life of a true soldier of Jesus, but the rewards in this life and in the life to come are beyond measure. Amen. All right. So any of you going to be doing some prayer and fasting next week? All right. Here's you some more ammunition. Take it with you. Visualize, visualize, visualize. Right, Leon? Thank you, everyone. <laughs>